When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, my homie? Lisa Billu here with another freaking amazing, powerful two-part episode that's going to expose the secrets you should know about you negotiating your time, your affection, and your peace of mind with a toxic partner. Now, today we have a top globally recognized attorney that's actually specializing in narcissistic negotiations. So she's joining us right now to spill the tea. Now, not only is it important that you spot the red flags personally and professionally, it's also freaking dangerous when you actually miss them. And Rebecca Zung is telling us exactly how to spot the narcissist hiding among us and get what you need and what you want out of them. Now, in this first part, we're actually turning the tables and learning how to ethically manipulate the manipulator. And guys, you're going to absolutely love this. This is for my homies aiming for success and balance in life that need to learn how to navigate a toxic partner at home and in the corporate world. Because when you know their game, you can actually play it to win. You can stop letting people walk over you, stop letting them push you around and actually know how to approach the situation with your freaking power. Narcissists don't attach themselves to people because they have so little value. They attach themselves to you because you have so much value. And they've gaslit you into believing that you don't have value. It's the biggest scam of the world. The truth of the matter is that they will take themselves down to take you down. You talk about how to ethically manipulate a manipulator with a, um, a phrase that you called slay. What is slay? How we break that down and how we can use it to actually take our power back. Yeah. So SLAY actually is uh, an acronym that I came up with so that people can remember it. And you start off with having a strategy. I know people want to go right to L, which is leverage. They're like, (laughs) give me leverage, (laughs) right? But you really have to have a strategy. And strategy is where you have you create a vision and where am I going with this? That's your GPS. I I call that your North star. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes, you know, your, your, your focus for the entire thing and in the negotiation, and then you can create your leverage. And then a is anticipating what the other side is going to be doing the entire time. And, and, being two steps ahead of them. And then Y stands for you, focusing on you being on the offensive and also your mindset. And 100% of winning is believing that you can and believing that you have the power to win. So many people, they feel, you know, when I, when I tell them start with a strategy and I say, where do you want to go with this? 
they they go well i want i want them to to stop i you know they're getting away with all their lies they're doing this they're doing that it's so hard for people to stop looking at the other side and what they're doing and they can't even think about what it is that they want because they're just so in the defensive mode all the time they've been so conditioned to be in this place of 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 defense constantly. And, you know, and it's normal. It is so normal. And and that is the one thing that, and, and I say normal in the sense that it's familiar. It's familiar to be conditioned to be in this place. And, you know, I talk about in the book that, you know, you're in trauma, you know, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And, and so to, to stop and give yourself grace and, and understand that that is where you are. But to think about what it is that you want is so, so important because if you can't be really, really clear about what it is that you want, then you can't go there. It's sort of like, going and sitting in your car and thinking about, okay, where am I driving? And you have no idea where you're going. You're not going to be able to get there. So you've got to be really, really clear about what you want in a negotiation or you're not going to be able to get there. And so I know so many times when you're in a toxic situation now, and I'm talking about professionally or personally. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I know how difficult it is is because I've been there and I was in a, a professional relationship, you know, with a business partner, uh, an entrepreneurial situation after I'd already been in a, career as an attorney for 20 something years I got into an entrepreneurial situation and it it disempowered me tremendously and I felt a lot of shame around that and I felt disempowered in that and I thought how am I going to get out of this situation and that's what led me to this whole thing but you know if if you can't create that vision then you're not going to be able to figure out where it is you're going to go so i call it like your gps it's like you're punching it in you know if you want to go from la to phoenix you got to know how am i going to get there so that's the first thing your vision and then you can create action steps you can go okay here's what we're going to do to get where i want to go and then that's when you can start building your leverage. That's when you can start figuring out my, you know, your next steps. Okay. Thank, that's so, first of all, I just want to applaud you for being so honest about the fact that after 20 years of being an expert, I mean, like literally you're like one of the top freaking attorneys. So everyone on the outside might go, you must know everything, right? And it's like, no, actually you're human. And so I think that that just allows people listening right now to just almost take away the shame that they may be feeling that they've gotten trapped in this relationship or that they've given their power away, right? So like it can happen to anyone, a freaking badass like you who's so damn powerful, even you can let your power go um, over time with people that can be manipulative. So you actually just said, before we get to um, L, you said about how there's different types of narcissists and how that you negotiate with them differently. I'd love to kind of go through each one and almost identify what are the languages that they use and then what are the language we can use to them in those situations? 
Yeah. Well, one of the things I definitely want to make sure that people understand is that people, narcissists don't attach themselves to people because they have so little value. They attach themselves to you because you have so much value, right? Because that's where they get their value from. Correct. Yeah. And that's why they're desperately trying to cling on and stick with you. And they started conditioning you from the beginning, from the beginning, you know, that during that, what they call love bomb phase or that, you know, idealization phase, they started conditioning you from the beginning to see if you were going to be a good match for them. You know, did, are, did, did they get away with, you know, a la- you know, ghosting you and, and you said, okay, this, this was okay. You know, that sort of thing. Did they, did they get away with not paying you back money or whatever it was? And you were like, all right, I guess it's okay. You know, that sort of thing, because they, they came up with excuses and you were okay with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that whole phase was a conditioning phase. And, and now, you're kind of at this deficit where you have to sort of condition them back when you have to try to get out of that, right? And and so they're going to cling on to that form of supply. That's what they're going to try to do. And they've they've gaslit you into believing that you don't have value. It's the biggest scam of the world. It's a huge scam. Why would they be continuing to want to attach themselves to you if you don't have value? Yeah. Right? Thank you. That's so beautiful. And I love I love that notion because, I, again, I think that we can beat ourselves up over how did we get here. Um, and so knowing that, I want everyone at home really right now to just remind themselves. Um, so you mentioned earlier about how you have the covert narcissist, the grandiose narcissist, and what were the other ones? Malignant. Malignant. Well, those are the three that I think are the the main ones. There are many different types of narcissists. And there is even, you know, a healthy narcissism, by the way. There's a lot of different types of narcissism out there. Um, but, you know, those are the three that I think that most people kind of think about and talk about. Um, and you know, I'm not a psychologist, but the reason why I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to understand sort of the basics of it is because if you can't understand that, then, uh, then you, you know, you can't understand how to negotiate with them. So you need to understand sort of the basics of it so that you can understand how to build that leverage and build, um, your plan for how to negotiate with them because they each act differently in negotiation. Mm. And you have to be, that's sort of part of the A in anticipating how they're going to behave in negotiation so that you can stay two steps ahead of them in negotiations and build your leverage. So if you don't mind breaking those three down. Yeah. So a covert narcissist tends to be more of the passive aggressive, the humble one, the one that looks like the victim. You know, they, on the surface, they look very kind, compassionate, humanitarian. I think they're the stealthiest. I, in some ways, I think that they're the, the, the most dangerous in a lot of ways. The grandiose narcissist is more of the what I call the garden variety narcissist, the one that everybody thinks of as a narcissist. Frankly, 
I think most attorneys don't understand what narcissism is. I, I don't. I don't think most people in general understand what a narcissist is. I thought a narcissist was a male blowhard, big you know person who would fill the room, come in, tell everybody how great they are. If you know, if they brag about themselves, a misogynistic kind of guy. That's what I thought a narcissist was, frankly. I didn't know a narcissist could be a female woman who would be, you know, seemingly wonderful to the rest of the world, who, you know, had this sort of uh, ability to have plausible deniability on everything that they do. And, and that's, but they're very much every bit a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Which is what a covert narcissist is, and but you know, it doesn't mean they have to be female. But it, you know, that is a, a covert narcissist. So you know, they could be humanitarians, they could be pastors, they could be doctors, lawyers, whatever, and they save what they're doing these passive aggressive sort of techniques just for their targets. So the types of things that they do, it could be inadvertently leaving you off an email and, you know, oh, I, I don't, I was wondering why you didn't show up to that business meeting, you know, that I had without you, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, suddenly you're feeling less than because this person is smiling in your face, but doing these things to make you feel less. And that's what you mean by plausible deniability, where they're like, oh my God, I said, I didn't mean to leave you off that email. I, didn't I forgot mean. to invite you to my birthday party. Correct. Mm. Yes. So they, I call it clean hands. You know, in, in law, there's this thing called clean hands. That, you know, they try to keep their hands clean, but there, there's always this way that you can't really attach themselves them to it, but they're always sort of doing things that, you know, are passive aggressive, or they'll say things to you like, wow, it's really great how you've lost weight. Um, I mean, too bad about the stretch marks, but you know, you're, you know, certainly, you know, look better. Um, Or they might couch their, um, their, they're, they're the things that they're doing in care. So in, in a divorce situation, for example, if they're planting the seed that they might leave their spouse soon and they might want to be setting up their spouse for some sort of a custody battle, they might say, you know, six months before they're leaving their spouse, they might say, you know, I'm really getting concerned to a neighbor. They might say, I'm so concerned about Johnny's drinking. You know, he just had too much to drink last night. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just concerned about him. I think he's just under a lot of stress. Just concerned, mm-hmm. you know. And, and then six months later to the same neighbor, you know, I think Johnny is an alcoholic. You know, will you testify for me mm. against uh, him? You know, I, you know, I've been saying for months that that he has an alcohol problem. You know, I, I've been concerned about him for months. Now, Johnny probably has no problem with alcohol whatsoever, but they couch it in terms of 
concern, mm. you know, and, and they make it seem like they're just so caring. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that they do. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. Wow. Okay. So I'd love to go now through, uh, you said that was the covert narcissist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the grandiose is just the person in the room that's really loud, that is very charismatic. Right. Now, when they get into um, the discard phase and you go to negotiate, they will act very differently because, you know, they will, the, the covert narcissist is going to tend to line up those flying monkeys. They're going to tend to do that, what I just explained to you, go get people on their side, get their armies, get their, you know, whereas the grandiose narcissist might tend to file fraudulent motions, go directly after a person, file things that are um, straight up lies, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas a malignant narcissist is the type of a person who might stalk you, might actually, you know, act, go after you in, in, in a way that's much more uh, heinous. So, you know, knowing the type of narcissist that you're dealing with is very helpful in dealing in creating the leverage that you need to create. Okay, thank you. I, I'm loving this. Okay, so now going to the L, the leverage. How do you start to create leverage depending on which narcissist is in your life? Yes, so important. So important. So here's what I figured out. All narcissists are driven by one thing and one thing only. That is narcissistic supply. Now, this is something that I found to be very, 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 very fascinating. Regular reasonable people are driven by many different things. You know, it could be um, having a mission of helping people. It could be having, um, you know, you 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 want to take care of your children, you want to take care of your family, you know, it, it could be a many different things, right? With narcissists, they feel totally and completely empty inside. And so they 
it, it's like this sieve. It's a black hole. It can never be filled. And, and so you might want to fill it too, and they might want you to fill it, but then you're left feeling totally and completely empty, and yet they're still starving. It's scarcity to the utmost extreme. And so they need an endless form of this supply. Mm-hmm. And so they are constantly looking for it. Now, there's two tiers to this supply is what I've figured out. There's what I refer to as diamond level supply. And then there's what I refer to as coal level supply. So diamond and coal, mm-hmm. right? So diamond level supply is what the world sees. They will protect and defend this form of supply to their death to, for anything above their children, above anything. It's how they look to the world. It's impressive friends, money, money, whether it was ill-gotten by cheating or whatever, they don't care. Um, The big houses, the impressive job, whatever it is. Then there's what we call that coal level supply. That's tier two. That is manipulating people, degrading people, treating people poorly, making people squirm, all that sort of thing. That's like that, what I call the dark underbelly of narcissistic supply, making themselves feel better by pushing other people down. Okay. Now there's this huge myth around narcissists that narcissists just want to win when it comes to negotiating. That is totally false because it totally forgets about coal level supply. It only takes into account diamond level supply. That's why they constantly move goalposts. That's why you can never get anywhere. The truth of the matter is that they will take themselves down to take you down. They will do anything to continue to hold on to that all forms of supply, including coal level supply. And so you have in leverage, you have to figure out a way to threaten a, that form of supply that's more important for them to keep, which is that diamond level supply, than this, than the supply that they get from jerking you around, which is that coal level supply. Mm. And that's how you build your leverage. And Ideally, you're going to have many different ways of doing that. So through documentation, you can create summaries of their lies, or you can figure out a way to expose them through threaten, threaten, you know, to whatever it is that you can do, but you can't actually expose them or do something because if you do, then your leverage is gone. But if you don't do that, then you're never going to get free. And how do you then identify what that leverage is? Because I assume each person is going to be slightly unique. Each person is slightly unique. You just have to know what it is that, that, you know, knowing the person, knowing what it is, Mm. you have to figure it, you have to figure that out. Knowing what their diamond is. Knowing what their diamond is. Yeah, so I actually heard you uh, tell a story about how um, there was a guy that you were actually defending and he was, um, I guess it was like, there was like two and a half million dollars or something that the wife wanted. Oh yeah. Yes. So 
this was a guy who, <laughs> this is a funny story, where we were mediating and at the end of the night, um, and he was a huge CEO of a huge uh, development company, like the second largest development company in, in Florida. And he was like, and it, even at the beginning when he was hiring me, he was acting like I was all like lucky that he was hiring me as his attorney. And he tried to get me to negotiate my retainer. And I was like, yeah, well, buddy, you can go hire somebody else if you want. Good for you for he's sticking like, to your guns. Yeah. He was like, is there any room in your retainer? I was like, no, but, uh, you know, if you want to have ease on down the road, go on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so we get to the end of a 12 hour mediation and he, we're about ready to sign and he was about ready to have to pay, um, like, uh, like, two and a half million dollars in alimony over time because it was a long-term marriage. And the mediator came in and said, hey, there's an interesting proposal from the wife over here. Uh, Can I talk to you, Rebecca, before we present it to your client? Because this is kind of crazy. And so he brings me out into the lobby of the law firm and I said, yeah. And he said, she's willing to waive alimony, but your client has to do one thing. And I said, what is it? And he said, she wants your client to apologize for all of the things that he did during the marriage to her. Now, she was getting a lot of other assets, so she was going to be fine. And I was like, okay, what's the catch? And he's like, no catch. She'll, she'll wave alimony. And I was like, okay. So I went in and told him and, and he was like, no, not going to do it. Because his pride to him was more important than giving that money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the diamond. Right. And, you know, he would rather you know, look like I'm the big man and I pay alimony and all. I'm not apologizing to this person. And she wanted to be able to go around telling everybody I got an apology out of him. And finally he gets up and he, with tail between his legs, he goes over there and he does it. And, but he didn't want to. And so was that her leverage then knowing that his diamond was the apology. He never wanted to look like that, but she knew that at some point that he would have to. Like how important that was to her to get that. But afterwards, you know, when we were standing in the parking lot, I'll tell you a couple of different things that he said to me. First of all, he thanked me for doing that. And second of all, he also said to me that he was glad that I didn't cave on my retainer agreement, you know, at the beginning when he um, tried to uh, uh, negotiate that, because he said, had I negotiated my retainer, that he would have thought that I was going to be weak on negotiating on his behalf. Mm. I mean, I'm surprised that he admitted that to you. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, that's fascinating. So understanding the S, understanding the L, now let's go through the A. 
Yeah. So the A is a couple of different things. One is knowing how they're going to behave in negotiations. But the, also, the A is also knowing that how they're going to behave in negotiations as far as that they're going to be baiting you. They're going to be trying to trigger you. I would say that negotiating with a narcissist is like uh, getting arrested. Anything you can't, you say or do is, is going to be used against you. And, you know, I know you talk about, you know, in, in being emotionally sober, right? And, and that is exactly what you have to do in, you know, to, to, you know, uh, to the nth degree in this kind of situation. Because, you know, for one thing, everything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit, mm -hmm. whether it's a professional situation, whether it's a personal situation, no matter what kind of situation it is, you've got to be absolutely careful. So I always say use one form of communication. And I really recommend that it be email. And this is assuming that you've left that relationship, correct? Right. I mean, d depending on whether it's a, you know, divorce situation, a business partnership, whether it's a, a, a boss, a colleague, whatever it is, be very, very careful because they will try to bait you. They will try to trigger you, you know, um, and as long as they are getting supply, they're going to keep coming around. So they're going to keep trying to get supply out of you. And supply meaning that your response? Yeah, you, you know, any kind of response out of you, any kind of rise out of you, anything. So, you know, I, I come up with all of these different ideas on ways to not do that, right? So, you know, making a plan stand, like, you know, you have a plan, you, you just ways that you can start taking control, right? So ways that you can start taking, turning that ship, writing that ship, because, you know, you feel from the beginning, like you're just, it's so overwhelming. It's so, it, you, you feel powerless, you feel paranoid, you feel paralyzed. And so, you know, I, I, I came up with this sort of like three-step process of step one, don't run, step two, make a U-turn, step three, break free, so that you can just sort of like think of it in baby steps instead of like all at once, mm -hmm. because, you know, your first step is maybe just one little boundary. And if your first boundary is just, I'm going to say, I'm not going to be spoken to in a way that's disrespectful, and that's my first boundary for today. Now, when you say that though, and I'd love to go through all the steps, but when you say that, aren't you going to then anticipate they're going to push back? A hundred percent. But you know, this is, you're dealing with a person who is um, emotionally not, uh, you know, like a two-year-old. And, and, you know, this is one thing I actually want to make sure that I do talk about, and that is their brain um, physiology. Mm. And, one of the things that I learned in doing the research for this book is that how they were formed is during their childhood, they were exposed to trauma on a regular basis. And, you know, as human beings, when we are in fight or flight, our brain physiology is that 
our brains emit chemicals, hormones, things like that. So adrenaline, cortisol, all these, you know, our brains emit chemicals to prepare us to fight or flee, mm -hmm. right? So that we can be stronger or faster or that sort of thing. And, and we start to, you know, get, um, you know, in this on a regular basis, if this happens continuously. And so with children who are dealing with trauma on a regular basis, because there was a lot going on in the home, it can cause damage to the limbic system in the brain. Mm -hmm. And it can actually cause arrested development. And so what happens with narcissists or narcissistic people, and you know, it is a spectrum, then what happens with narcissists is that when they are becoming adults, that limbic system part of the brain does not develop. And even though the prefrontal cortex part of their brain does. And so as they are presented with stimuli that causes them to feel slighted in some way or feel upset in some way or feel triggered in some way, that limbic system part of the brain is triggered and takes back over. And oftentimes, sometimes they don't even remember what they're doing during that episode. And so you're dealing with somebody who's not rational, who's not thinking in a rational, reasonable way when you're negotiating with them. Mm. You know, so while it looks like you're having a conversation with somebody who's an adult, you're not. I mean, this is a person who's that limbic system, part of their brain, that what we call narcissistic injury has been triggered. And, you know, it's not a person who's rational. And so you have to deal with them in a different way. You have to. And, and that's what I want people to understand. That's what I think the world needs to understand. Not only is the narcissist not rational and reasonable when you're dealing with them in negotiation, also the target person has been it traumatized too. They're experiencing cognitive dissonance and CPTSD and mental fog and brain fog and all sorts of things because of ongoing gaslighting and ongoing trauma to their system as well. Thank you for breaking that down. That makes so much sense. So much sense. And I think that it, knowing that now, I think allows you to not necessarily talk to that person or the narcissist the way you would talk to somebody else. So going back to where you started, where it's like, look, it's just that one thing, right? The three steps that you were saying is that like, you know, you just want to like stop that kind of like that behavior. Um, and then responding though, they may respond very differently than what a, an adult, you would expect an adult to respond to. Right. So the way I look at it is like a two-year-old having a tantrum mm -hmm. on the floor, right? When you're dealing with a two-year-old having a tantrum, they, you know, they look at parents and they go, well, last time I wanted my bottle or whatever, I just needed to scream louder and scream harder, and then they gave it back to me, so that's what I need to do. I just need to kick more, scream louder, and I'm just going to do keep having more and more of a tantrum until they give in. And that's exactly what you're dealing with with a narcissist, and they're 
you know, they're always the worst right before they're ready to give up. And so mm-hmm. you are just conditioning them back. You have to take responsibility for yourself and you can't be responsible for them. And you have to be okay with baby steps and, and being okay with the fact that they're going to have a little bit of a, a, you know, a tantrum each time you condition them a little bit more and a little bit more, but it's okay. Okay. So I, I love this. So what are the things then as you're conditioning them, what are the things that are ways to disarm the narcissist? And what are the ways that you're actually going to freaking aggravate them and really rattle them up? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I do suggest is I say fluff or favor vomit later. <laughs> That's so good. (laughs) You know, I mean, use it to your advantage a little bit. So fluff up their ego, you know, like you're fluffing up a pillow and, you know, just throw lots and lots of compliments their way for the things that you want. And then, you know, get something that you want in return. Can you give me an example? Well, like, you know, if you want them to do the QuickBooks or something like that. Oh, you're so much better at it and it'll be done so much more efficiently if you do it um, than if I would do it. And, uh, you know, but don't say anything about you being good at it or mm-hmm. anything like that. Don't have any kind of sar- sarcastic tone or anything like mm-hmm. that because I always say narcissists hear tones like dogs hear whistles. Like oh. even if there's no tone, like they hear tone, you know? I mean, like just... Something like that, you know, like if you want something, then ask them to do it like that, you know, because that way, you you know, you'll get something um, and then let them talk. A lot of times you can find out what they're, what is, how do you think that this should go? How do you think that this should be resolved? Let them talk about it, you know, kind of plant seeds and let them kind of come up with the ideas and, you know, don't take your ego out of it, you know, a lot of times. Because if it at the end of the day ends up being resolved in the way that you wanted it to be resolved, but they think they came up with the idea, who cares? Yeah, I actually have a list of yours. So your your Instagram's amazing, by the way. You have so many freaking tactical things. Um, and I pulled some from your your Instagram on the ways to disarm them. Um, and so anyone at home listening, they can literally write these down and use them if they need to. I'm sorry you feel that way. Is that like allowing them to feel like they've been heard? Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of different ways that you can disarm them, you know, and, and I, I, I like agree. I agree with you, you know, because you can say, I agree with you. I agree with you that that's what you think. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's hilarious. And they don't even realize what you're saying. They're just yeah. like, oh, well, great. So they agree with me. Yeah, I agree that that's your opinion, you know. Right? <laughs> That's your opinion. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I, I can see that you are dot, 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 like that you are upset. Again, is that like allowing them to feel like they've been seen? Yes. Yeah. I can see that you are upset. I can see that you are angry. You know, just I like 
things that are observing of their behavior, because then you are starting to take yourself out of it and you are starting to see them as a third, you know, almost as an observing as a third party, because then you are starting to take it less personally, because once you can start to not take things personally, you are starting to understand that it is their issue and not your issue. You know, people treat other people in a direct reflection of how they feel about themselves always. It never has anything to do with you. It always has to do with how they feel about themselves, good or bad. You know, if if people treat other people well, it's because they feel good about themselves. Yeah, that's so true. Um, And let me just pull up another one. Um, That's an interesting perspective. Yes, it's an interesting perspective. Or I, 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 the other one I like is, oh, that's really great feedback. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, and then you also I'll take that under advisement. Yeah. <laughs> and then as we're going because we're on the A for anticipation, there's another thing that you talk about about how um, like the words actually would destroy them. And I think that this can be very. Um, we can use this. I think this is very wise for us to talk through. Because I want people to anticipate if they use it, because you even said about the tone, right? It's like, look, if you're sarcastic, it's just going to set them off. And so being able to anticipate how you talk about it also allows you again to take your power back. Because now in those moments, you just know what words to use to get what you want. Right. Yeah. I mean, and thinking that you're going to win and they're going to see that you're going to win is not happening There's never going to be this idea that they're going to go, wow, you know, you're right. I totally get your side. I totally get your, that you are, I I see your side now. They're not going to have this epiphany and, and, and get to that other point and, and, and you feel all that closure and acknowledgement. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it before we started on the, the, the four F's and, you know, forget about telling them they're a, nar- they're a narcissist, forget about closure, forget about telling, you know, getting them to see that they're wrong and forget about getting them to see your side, the four F's. I mean, because those things aren't happening, you know, I mean, just move on. 